Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, with Pastor John King. I'll withhold my comments about jammies. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you, I think there's only about six or five or six left. But if you want a study journal, we're starting a new book today. They're on the back table. All I ask is that you would write your name down and check off how many that you have. And I think we do need to reserve two for the uh, Parsons family. So uh, these could be a help for you as we start our study. I just wanted to put a plug out for that. I think it's going to be helpful for us, as I've been saying, to be on the same page um, leading up to Sunday, taking the time to read the passages ahead having a points of discussion when we gather, wherever we gather, uh, whatever fellowship we share, or even with our, as we witness to our friends and neighbors. Amen? Amen. All right, so today we're going to be going through verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Now, as we continue on our journey through Paul's letters to the churches, I'd ask you to notice that each letter has a dominant theme. You know, in Ephesians, it was the mystery of Christ in the church. In Philippians, it was the joy that a life in Christ brings to his people. In Colossians, it is the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the head of all creation and of the church. And it's been said many times that there is no book in the New Testament, including John's Gospel, which presents such a comprehensive picture of the fullness of Christ. As with many of Paul's letters, Colossians was written from Rome while Paul was under house arrest. He was waiting for his case to be heard, as we know. And as we will see, Paul did not directly or even visit this church. It came by a move of the Spirit in the heart of a man named Epaphras, who was with Paul in Rome when the letter was written. He had to come to know the Lord, or this man, Epaphras, had come to know the Lord through Paul's ministry when he was in Ephesus for two years. And so today we're going to cover the introduction to the letter. But as we progress through the book, it's not a very long book, we'll see that Paul is very concerned about what this young church is facing. They're facing counterfeit spiritual systems. They're facing mysticism, legalism, all kinds of Eastern religions, all kinds of man-made philosophies and so forth. And we face the same and very similar challenges today. Christianity, as we know, is no longer the dominant worldview that it once was among previous generations in our nation. Institutions that were once based on Judeo-Christian values are crumbling right before our eyes. There are no standards left or they're being removed. Standards based on biblical truth and morality. They're being wiped out by institutions. One religion is as good as another, it's been said. Truth is relative to each individual. Or, since Christianity is so rigid, perhaps we can use AI to create a virtual super-religion 
where everyone can simply blend all the world's belief systems into one. You know they have the technology to do that. So we, we are aware of this. What can we do about it? You know, I, I'm not necessarily here to inform you of all the things going on in the world. You're well informed. But what can we do about it? How can we guard against these counterfeit systems from infiltrating our minds, our homes, our church? Well, it's really simple. We need to do what Paul is doing. We need to reinforce the understanding that you and I are already complete in Christ. Our identity, our purpose, and our eternal destiny has all been established. Why? Because Jesus Christ is supreme and more than sufficient. So let's be encouraged as we unpack these truths in the great letter to the Colossians. Let's read our passage today. He starts out uh, with a typical greeting. He says, I, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, with an exclamation. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you. And it is also in all the world and it's bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. Father, we come before You now knowing that You are our strength, You are our source, that through Christ Jesus we are made whole and we are made clean and we are made pure before You, that You are more, He is more than sufficient, Lord Jesus, You are more than sufficient to provide for our needs, and to guide us through the power of the Holy Spirit through all of our days. And so, Lord, we just come to re reinforce these things. Because we know how easy the enemy can get into our minds. We know how easy we can fall prey to the system that the world is, wants to put upon us. And so, Lord, we come because we seek the clean and pure truth of your word. May it speak to us today. 
We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So Paul starts out with this typical greetings, the greetings of grace and peace. We notice, of course, that the writer is Paul the Apostle. And so he's, when, he, when he gives his title along with his name, it means that he's got some things he has to deal with. He's coming as an official, if you will, through this letter. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he is sent with God's, by God's will and God's determination to be an apostle. And notice in association with Timothy, our brother, who we learned, you know, we've talked about him. And this brother Timothy was with Paul for his second and third missionary journeys. And he's there with, in Rome with Paul at this time. And then we see he's writing from the writer Paul to the, the original recipients. The saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, to be a saint means to be holy and set apart for service. And faithful brethren, he considered them as a spiritual family. And he wants to reinforce something right away. You know, these aren't, you can say, oh, that's just a typical greeting. We, we need to get to the meat of the, the passage, John. But this, he says, look, you're the faithful brethren. He adds that because he wants to assure them right out of the gate that they are, their standing in Christ is secure if they're true believers. And then, of course, their residence, which is in Colossae. And if you've read ahead or you've looked at your Bible maps or you've looked up Colossae or Colossae in, uh, on the, you know, the Internet, you'll know that it is a city, uh, was once a large city in eastern Turkey, southeastern, excuse me, western Turkey, southwestern Turkey. And it, by the time it, in Paul's day, it actually had kind of decreased to being more of a smaller town. So who would think, who would think that a letter from the Apostle Paul would be written to a small town place like us? But you know, that's just the way it is. The Word of God is everywhere. Interestingly, we will learn later, but it's been said that soon after this letter and Paul had, been, and had died, this city had been leveled by an earthquake. Notice he confirms his care for them. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a similar way that Paul greeted several churches. He blended both the Greek and the Hebrew. Grace, meaning his loving kindness, God's loving kindness and favor, is our undeserved favor. And then peace from the Hebrew word shalom, which is a sense of well-being because of God's presence. We experience God's peace because we have peace with Him if you're a believer. And so because of His loving kindness, we are able to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and be at peace with God. Now really, you know, just because it's an introduction to the letter, um, this is an amazing thing, really. I could go on. We could stop the message right here. We're not going to do that, but we could. And really expound on what it means. But notice also it's not only for the original recipients. As I said, we may be tempted to think that this is a standard way that letters were written. And it was. But if that's your train of thought, you're already missing out on the fact that sinners find peace through God's grace. And that is a cause for celebration. Amen. We said it's not for the original, it's for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we've heard it many times. 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We, uh, we go on to our next section and we see in verses 3 through 8 what we would call encouraging faith. Encouraging faith. He says in verse 3, well, first of all, uh, before we get to there, um, we're going to see that Paul, the things that verify. If you're asking a question, what, what kind of things verify my true conversion in Christ? And he's going to give evidence. You know, what gives evidence? If I was to stand in, you know, in a court of law and be accused of being a Christian, what would be the evidence? And so he's going to talk about three things. Faith, hope, and love. And they're mentioned numerous times in Scripture. And as one writer put it, faith, hope, and love is sort of like apostolic shorthand for genuine Christianity. None of these qualities can be manufactured by man because they all come from God. And so he says right away, we give thanks to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's given them, you know, the source of their conversion, their salvation, then he says, praying always for you at all times, being consistent. We know how important consistent prayer is, both in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. And then he begins in verse 4 to talk about the first two of that trio, that apostolic shorthand, faith and love. And he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ. Now, faith in Christ, of course, is based on God's word. And it's not faith in faith or in reincarnation or even that God is good. No, it's faith in Christ. Only a true Christian has faith in Christ because they've put all of their trust and belief in Jesus Christ. And he says, so he says, there's your faith. And he says, and your love for all the saints, agape or affection or goodwill. And this is evidence that could definitely accuse you of being a Christian or not. How loving we are, especially towards our fellow brothers and sisters. So true conversion is evidenced by faith in Christ and love for other believers. Then we have in verse 5, hope. He says, because of the hope which was laid up for you in heaven. This hope is the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Notice he says it's been laid up for you. It's, it's reserved. It's awaiting them. You have a place in heaven. If you've surrendered your life to the Lord and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, well, it's been laid up for you in heaven. You, you got a reservation. God sees you as already being there. The salvation that awaits us, the full salvation, where your names are written. The names are written in the book of life. So, True conversion is evidenced by faith in Christ and love for others and tr the true gospel message. If it's a true gospel message, it's a message of hope based on the word of truth and God's promises. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul talked about this 
reservation. He said, finally, near the end of his life, he says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. Now at the end of verse 5, he makes mention, he says, talking about this gospel, this hope, it says, of which you heard before in the word of truth, in the gospel. And many believe that he's, he's now starting to reference the false teaching and the reason for his concern for this church and the reason why they're praying so much because of the false teaching that's coming in. A different gospel has started to creep into the church. And so he says, what you heard before, that that's what's laid up for you, the true gospel. And then he says in verse 6, which has come to you as it has also in all the world. Now there's a lot of ways you can look at this. Salvation has arrived in the sense that the gospel, once heard, does force a decision. Or it should prompt a decision on with the Holy Spirit working in you, when you hear the gospel message, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life to convict you of sin and unrighteousness, and the heart of your heart of reception is soil that's, you know, that's ready to receive the gospel and take root in your life. He says also in all the world, meaning it's, it's first of all, it's widely spread far and wide. We live in a global society now. But also it's noting that the true gospel is available to everybody. It's not just for the Jews. The Gentiles have been brought. The church had been revealed through Paul's uh, revealing that in Ephesians. Talking about the mystery of the church that had come that was previously unknown. And it's not just for the spiritual elite. And not only has it come and also in all the world, but it's bringing forth fruit. You know, if you're a Christian, then changed life, your changed life reflects and is seen by others. Part of your testimony should be not only the before and the fact that you've come to know the Lord, praise God, but the change that's occurred over the course of time because of your changed life in Christ. And it says, it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Now, this knowledge, the reason why he's keying in on this word new and knowledge, it's a Greek word, Greek word called epignosko. And it's really, it's talking about accurate knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge out there. There's a lot of knowledge of all different types of belief systems and philosophies, but accurate and true knowledge, Paul says here, as he relate, relates it to the gospel, is epignosco. The true gospel changes lives because it bears fruit wherever it's received. It is both personal and available to all men by, the hearing, by hearing the grace of God in truth. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In verse 7, he introduces us to a man named Epaphras. He says, As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Epaphras was uh, evidently, he was at, with Paul in Rome. This is how Paul learned of the 
condition, not only the, the difficult things that were happening in the, this young church, but also the wonderful things that were happening as God was growing them as a church and growing them in his love. And he was there to, to inform Paul. And he was most likely the founder of the Colossian church. And we see elsewhere in scripture that he was under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And he's also mentioned in the, the book of Acts and in the book of Philemon. Well, the, the area, this place Colossae is mentioned in the book of Acts. In Acts 19.10, speaking of Paul's uh, ministry in, in Ephesus, it said he continued for two years. That was a long time for the apostle to stay in one place. And so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So this would have also included Colossae. And he says about him, Paul says, he testifies to the church, he says, who's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. You know, the unity that they share in the gospel. There were two different people, but Paul saw him as one who was preaching and teaching and being faithful to minister, to serve the body there. So the true gospel Another, if you're taking notes, the true gospel is proclaimed by faithful servants or ministers of Christ. In verse 8 it says, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Now, Epaphras is describing the fact that God is moving among the people in Colossae. So they, he wanted to make it known. And he says, he says, declare to us your love in the Spirit. This is agape love brought forth by the Spirit of God into the lives of the people of God. The things that we do, that a fellowship does as a church, um, as we stay in God's Word and we believe and, and you know, have a high concentration of born-again Christians here in this room, I'm sure, is we recognize that the power of the Spirit is what brings us together. The power of God's Holy Spirit. And the, the change that's brought by the Spirit of God into the lives of you, the people of God, can only be done under the power of the Spirit of God. And so because of their love, Epaphras was convinced of their true conversion. And so he told the Apostle Paul. As we mentioned last week, you know, the Word of God has the power to tend to, to lift the fog, if you will in our spiritual sense, and in our minds as well. You know, you, if you have the chance to, where you can get up early and you can have a cup of coffee and you can have that devotional time um, and you can have, start your day with prayer, what a blessing that is. You know, God's mercies are new every single morning. But also sometimes our hearts and minds, very often perhaps, become cluttered with these random thoughts, you know, and some of it's spiritual attack, and these constant influences of the world, the worldly systems around us. You know that. Some of you have to protect your kids and your grandkids and your spouse from the things that can come into your house, the false teaching. And so we look to the true gospel message of faith, hope, and love as a marker indicating our true conversion. You know, it's, we need to be solid and, and, you know, it's like we sang in one of our songs this morning. I am a child of God. It's a declaration 
When I stand before the Lord, I have a place in heaven. He loves me. My life has been changed. It's never been the same. I've had my ups and downs, but I'm not giving up. And there's times when we feel like it. And also, you know, sometimes we, we need to, as we grow as, as a fellowship, we need to learn how to lovingly hold others accountable in our lives. If, if you have somebody that's always and constantly bemoaning the state of the world, and believe me, there's plenty to moan about, but never has a care for others, never at peace, it seems, never wanting to edify or take an interest in the needs of others. We need to remind them. That's one of the markers of your faith as a Christian, is love. We've all, uh, I like what Kent Hughes wrote this. He says, we've all met people who claimed to be good Christians, who were upstanding, honest, orthodox, but unloving. They had loveless goodness, an orthodoxy without charity, a questionable faith. They were the kind of people Mark Twain had in mind when he said, he is a good man in the worst sort of way. Love for the brethren is a sign of true faith. How we love one another. And I know it's messy. I know it. I know it's messy. I'm not trying to kid anybody. We're not just, you know, oh, love, love, love. You know, we don't sing kumbaya. As we move ahead in this letter from Paul, it's important for us to understand a little bit more fully Paul's concern. Uh, I'm going to go into a, a little bit of informational stuff here for you. And I think it's helpful for us to, be, to understand what was going on at the time. There was a false and heretical teaching that was spreading throughout the churches known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from that Greek word gnosis, or to know. Remember we said epignosis means good knowledge, true knowledge of God? Well, here you have gnosis. And Gnostics considered themselves to have a sort of superior knowledge of spiritual things. And they wanted to help those lesser Christians to attain a deeper understanding of spirituality. When somebody comes at you with that kind of stuff, you need to pay attention. Without going into all the details, it's very important to see that they held some very, very bizarre positions. Mainly the following. I'm just going to go through the things that these Gnostics actually believed. Gnostics, or quote, people in the know, these were the spiritual elite with all the answers. Whenever somebody says they've got all the answers, be careful. They held as their basic doctrine that matter or anything physical or created, matter for your science students, anything you can see or touch or you can measure, was evil. Matter is evil and that only the spirit was good. They reasoned, therefore, that God could not be involved in creation. Well, that's, a, that's a red flag, right? You guys already know that's wrong. Because being perfect, he could not touch matter which was intrinsically evil. 
There, you think the ancients were dummies, right? They had all this intellectualism. They were smarter than their own good. Therefore, the world, this is what they said, therefore, the world came into being through a complicated surrogate process as God put forth, listen, thousands of what we call emanations or lesser gods. Now think about some of your world religions that have millions of gods. Each of which was a little more distant from him so that finally there was an emanation or a little god so distant from God that it could touch matter. Okay? We got there. Oh, finally. And it created the world. That's what they believed. Of course, this lesser God of creation was so far removed from the ultimate God that it was evil. Hmm, interesting. Not the biblical teaching I'm used to hearing. Now you can imagine they're coming into the church and they're teaching these people these things. And now you understand why Paul was so upset. And so the reasoning that they had, that the Gnostics had, and if it starts to kind of line up with some of the new age spiritualism that you're hearing, that's because there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. This reasoning that they had led to the belief that Jesus Christ, if he really was the Son of God, could not have taken on a human body because all matter is evil. So they, right away, that's how you can tell of a cult and a false teaching because they deny the deity and the humanity of Christ. This delusion spawned the Gnostic romances about Jesus being an only a ghost-like phantom. To the Gnostics, Christ was not creator, the incarnation was not real, and Christ was not enough. Now, some of you who have been to college and you've been to philosophy courses that they're teaching today, what they're teaching in the schools of today, the advanced college, even the smaller colleges, they're teaching you this fake belief that those who call themselves Christians are simply in this sort of like, like a, a fake bubble of reality. What you believe, all your, it's, it's a simulation and you need to break away from that fake simulation. That's what they teach in the world today. So the Gnostics built a system by which one could begin with Christ and work one's way, way up to a series of emanations to God. Does that sound familiar? In Colossae, this system consisted of certain ascetic disciplines, you know, strict religious disciplines. What did they do? Well, they, they took some of it from Jewish legalism. They had secret passwords. They borrowed stuff from Eastern mysticism. They were into, way into astrology and some parts of Christianity. It was all very complex and proudly intellectual. The Gnostics, those who are in the know, looked down upon the simple Colossian believers. They browbeat them and they led some of them astray. And that is why Paul is so concerned. You guys may have heard of the guy who's sort of like the right-hand man of this World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum. There's a guy named Harari is his last name. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's a brilliant man, apparently. He's, a, he's an atheist. He's, he's a homosexual. And he is put into motion uh, through using AI 
Their goal is to create a Bible that's the perfect Bible. It's going to be the perfect Bible. It'll, it'll take care of anyone who feels left out. It'll be that one. I mean, they're, they're putting this in motion. Spiritual elites of our day. And that's why we stick to the Bible. And that's why I've gone so long in this particular section. So you can imagine that Paul, when he learned of this mess while he was in prison, you know, now, man, you can imagine the times when Paul was writing these letters. He really had to live out his preaching because he wanted to get out of that prison and go deal with some churches around, right? I mean, he was, he was you know, but it, the, the Spirit of the Lord gave him such great wisdom that we're still reading his letters. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Praise God for that. And so he needed to give them a strong defense to the all-sufficient, that's why we say the all-sufficient creator and redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of what we're going to read as we go through this book is brilliant. And I've said it earlier, this letter is considered by most to be the best response in all of the scriptures to the false teachers and cults, both then and today. Amen? So, having done that, and I've taken a little extra time, I'm going to have to hurry up a little bit, because I know we're all hungry. But he, now having sort of, that was the greeting, and that was the background, and I, now he starts to pray for spiritual growth. In other words, completeness in Christ is experienced by living in the light of God's revealed will. Living it, living it out. And so he says in verse 9, he's committed to intercessory prayer. And he says, for this reason, you know, all that, all that we've said, the fact that they've come to know the Lord and the fact that they've been under some false teaching, we, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Without delay, they do not cease. They continue to pray. The importance of prayer cannot be overemphasized. Notice, though, the content of the intercessory prayer. Again, another pattern on how we can pray for others. Starting with the knowledge of God's will. He says, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Again, that word knowledge is epignosis. This is the full knowledge of Christ. The spiritual elite, with all their gnosis, their Gnostics, were feeding them a bunch of baloney. And he says, knowledge of his will, what he wishes us to do, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, as we go through God's Word and as we study God's Word and we pray over it and we learn, we should start to develop the Christian mind or the mind of Christ. We need it. Because if we don't, we're going to take on the mind of whatever the world wants to pour into us. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way proper, prosperous, and then you will have good success. How do you know you're in God's will? Answer. True knowledge of God's will leads to a life that is conducted in a manner that pleases Him. You just have to examine your life and see how you're living it. You know, what is it that you're doing? Are you playing with some secret sin? 
Are you playing with some outright sinful actions in your life? What are you doing? What am I doing? I need to know this and I need to understand whether I'm in having a good knowledge of God's will for my life. And he says in verse 10, that you may, be, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. This is a desire to please the Lord in all aspects of your life. Now look, we know we're not perfect. We stumble. God forgives us of our sins. He has grace and mercy upon us. But is it my heart's desire and is it your heart's desire to be pleasing to the Lord in all aspects of my life? Or do I still have certain little toys over here that I don't want God to have anything to do with, whatever it is? Have I, re have I released it to him? You know, knowing Jesus, the true knowledge of Jesus' nature is not just knowing about him. We've been talking about that. I mean, any, anybody can tell you about Jesus, the historical figure, who he was and such. But know, knowing his true nature, and I, I like what John 15, 15, when he quoted Jesus. And this, this talks about the, the relationship now that we have. He says, no longer, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. In other words, a servant just wait for the next job assignment, right? But I, Jesus says, I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, isn't that amazing? You know, he didn't withhold the things that he heard from the father. He gave the, the things that he, to them, if they were able to receive it. And this is a desire to please God. A desire to bear fruit in every good work and to increase in the knowledge of God. In verse 11, Paul goes on. He says that you would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. How do you know that you're strong in the Lord? Well, it's when your patience run out, runs out and you don't sin against your spouse or your brother or sister. It's when you withhold saying what you shouldn't say. Because the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do that. You're strong in the Lord. You have patience with long-suffering and with joy. You know your purpose. Now, again, in a general sense, you know your purpose in this life. To love and serve God and to love others. You're loyal to your faith even in the greatest trials and sufferings. And that's where they'll be tested. And so these are the things that Paul is praying for them. And it's the things we should pray for one another. He's praying that they will walk in God's strength, which result, results in perseverance and patience and with joy. Notice in verse 12, why do we give thanks with joy? There's three reasons if you're taking notes. First of all, reason number one is because he makes us righteous and worthy. He's therefore qualifying us for our inheritance. So number one, why do we give thanks with joy? Because he makes us righteous and worthy. Verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who sent his only begotten Son, qualifying us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Saints in the light. You know, you, you can, this is what Paul, the, the meaning that Paul was trying to convey here, if, uh, to be considered saints in the light. What does that mean? One day, you and I and all believers will pass beyond all the burned out stars. 
of his creation and we will shine even brighter than any of all of his creation as we reflect God's glory. That's what we that's what we mean when he says saints in the light. The light of God's glory which one day will be so great that we can't even imagine it. We couldn't even stand under it unless we had heavenly bodies to do so. So number one, we give thanks to him because he has made us righteous and qualified us for our inheritance. Number two, because he's given us a new citizenship. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's given us a new, delivered means new citizenship. And he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God God, God is mighty and powerful enough to transport a whole population of true believers all through time and eternity, right? Into a new kingdom. That's what God is capable of doing. You think about, you know, having to move. I know some people are in the process of moving. (laughs) And we're talking about boxes and stuff. Well, God's capable to take an entire population his church and all the saints and put them in a new place, new citizenship. In fact, from his eternal perspective, it's already a done deal. It's already happened. So because we give him joy, we have joy and thankfulness because he has made us righteous and worthy, because he's given us a new citizenship, and finally because he has forgiven us and redeemed us. Us in whom we have redemption through his blood. Our paid ransom by the shedding of his blood on the cross. And the forgiveness of sin. He has delivered us from the guilt and the doom of sin. And he's made us his own. So hearing and reading about Paul's prayer is another great example of how we should pray for one another. I was reminded earlier in the week that preaching, a good preacher, which I don't claim, a good preacher needs to be able to tell his people what they need to know. And then that, and also, if, if capable, if, if they're able to do it, they need to tell them what they're to do. So what do we know and what are we to do? Well, first of all, and this is really the end of the message for today, what we know is That completeness in Christ begins with true conversion. What we know is that true conversion is based on the true gospel and it's evidenced by faith in Christ and love for other believers. What we know is that the true gospel is a message of hope based on the word of truth, God's promises. And what we know and what we should be able to testify to is the true gospel changes lives. And this is experienced by living in the light of God's revealed word or his revealed will through his word. So those those are the things we know. Now, what do we do? Well, since we know that the true gospel is proclaimed by faithful servants, ministers of Christ, go tell others about it. That's what we're to do. What are we to do? We are to commit to intercessory prayer and not cease from it. That's what we're to do. We are to evaluate our walk with the Lord. Do I desire to please God? 
Am I bearing the fruit through the good work God has called me to do? Am I growing in my faith? Am I walking in God's strength and not my own? What are we to do? We're to grow in our spiritual understanding. We are to study the Word of God. That's why we have these little journals to help us to do that. And what else are we to do? Well, finally, we're to give thanks with joy to the Lord. Why? Because the Father has qualified us for our inheritance in heaven. He's given us a new citizenship. He has forgiven us and redeemed us through the blood of Christ. Those are the things we are to do. So hopefully today you've, you've been reminded of what you know and what you need to do. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for our time this morning and we ask, Lord, that you, as we begin in this new study, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds. And Lord, that we would take what we have learned and apply it, knowing what we should do, Lord, declaring your goodness committing to prayer, committing to time in the Word, growing in our spiritual understanding, and even together as we gather to give thanks with joy. We do this because, Lord, we know that you have secured a place for us in heaven. You have forgiven us of our sins. And you have brought us to full redemption in you for those who have surrendered their lives unto you. May it be true of everyone in this room and everyone who hears the voice that we could be called a child of God. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.